This is Giving Purpose Podcast, highlighting Bay Area nonprofits and the work they do to better our communities. Hello and welcome to our first episode of Giving Purpose Podcast, where we are here to highlight San Francisco Bay Area nonprofits and the work that they do to better our communities. Um, This is your host, Ana Pimentel Calero, along with my co-host, Joe Neto, and we are very excited to have you listening in and would like to introduce our first guest. But first, Joe, how's your week going? Uh, You know, it is going. It is actually, you know, coming to the end of one uh, uh, point in life and getting on to the next one, which is starting this podcast, which is kind of cool, you know, and for uh, the next um, few uh, weeks or months, however long we're going with this, uh, hopefully, you know, um, hopefully it's the start of something really great. And I'm looking, I'm very excited to start on this today. So why don't we get started? All right, perfect. Let's introduce our first guest. So our first guest on our podcast is Teresa Carino. She is a public health educator and former high school teacher an administrator and is the founder and volunteer executive director of Salud y Cariño. Her passion for teaching, mentoring, and inspiring girls was first ignited in the classroom. Years later, as she began her journey in public health, she started to see disparate differences in the health and well-being of women and girls. Through her own struggles and life experiences, Teresa has discovered resources and skills that have helped her lead a healthier lifestyle. Salud y Cariño is a dream come true for Teresa. The startup funds for Salud y Cariño came from a childhood accident and is her way of giving back and making something good out of something painful. She hopes Salud y Cariño's programs will help foster resiliency, confidence, and overall wellness in the girls for generations to come. So, Teresa, if you'd like to start off, who are you and what do you do? Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I feel really honored to be your first guest on this podcast. And um, yeah, you shared a, a lot there about my background in that opening bio. I am a um, biracial and multicultural woman. Uh, my, I'm the firstborn of my father who is uh, Mexican and Yaqui descent. And my mother is uh, Irish. So have just I'm very proud to be multicultural and to have those roots right to bring those roots into my life and to the work that I do and uh, I have been the co-founder and executive director of Salud y Cariño now going on um, over 10 years and we're coming up on our nine-year anniversary of our programming because as you know, when you start a nonprofit, it takes a little while to get your board together, do your strategic planning, and um, start the programming, right? Get into that community and see what they want, see what they need. And so, yeah, January 22nd, 2024, that will be our nine-year anniversary. Congratulations. Um, and so can you give us a little bit of background of why you do the work that you do? Yeah, of course. You mentioned it a little bit in the beginning, and um, I actually had a childhood accident when I was two years old. I was burned with hot corn syrup over about 70% of my body when I was two years old. And it resulted in, actually at the time, it I was in the hospital for about six months because at that time, the technology and health services, things like that, uh, people sometimes would die of infection from, from burns like uh, to that extent. However, I survived and thrived, but also had my share of challenges because as you can imagine, as a 
young child and starting school and having uh, scars on my face and my hand and having to answer questions that kids ask. They're so innocent. They're so honest. And um, really having to learn how to tell that story at a young age and then to deal with some of the bullying that comes along kind of in middle school and into high school and as a young woman, how that makes you feel, right? And so that was one of the reasons because I knew what I dealt with as a young woman coming of age in a time where maybe my self-esteem or my confidence wasn't very high. And I know that then, and I also know now from the research that when your self-esteem is low or your self-worth is low, then sometimes we engage in activities that are, um, what's the word I'm looking for? So activities that we might not want to be experiencing, right? So maybe we might try, some people try alcohol or drugs or um, unprotected sex. And so at a young age for me, what it was is that I ended up pregnant very young. So I was a teen mom. And my sister, my co-founder, Margaret Carino Condon, also was a teen mom. And so when we thought about starting a nonprofit for women and girls, we thought, what would we have wanted at that age, at middle school, high school range, that maybe would have had an impact on our life, on our self-esteem, so that we maybe we weren't engaging in, in activities that were maybe not the healthiest choices at that age. So that's one of the reasons. And um, the other reason is I just really wanted to make an impact and do something with the insurance money that was given. So it was an accident, it happened in someone else's home. They had an insurance policy that paid for all of my surgeries. I had multiple surgeries. As I said, I was in the hospital for months. And then they, it came a time where they said, okay, what do you want us to do with the rest of the policy? And to me, it felt like, well, I don't need it, right? I felt like I've, I'm, I'm adjusted, I'm a healthy woman, I, I have confidence now. And, um, and then the other side of me thought, okay, if it was my child, you know, how, how do you put a price on that kind of pain and trauma, right? So ultimately, I thought to myself, what can I do to change my relationship with that money, to change what that money feels like, what it does in the world? And so the idea to start a nonprofit, that was when the seed was planted. Yeah, that's kind of the origin, sort of the origin story. That's amazing. Thanks. You talked about how it was difficult, you know, it takes a while for the nonprofit to start up. Can you give a little bit more of details about that? Because I feel like a lot of times when people think of a nonprofit, they think of the great work that we do in the community. But what about the nonprofit side that isn't always the easiest, the side that is, you know, takes a little longer? Can you talk a little bit about that process? Yes, for sure. We, when I think, when I thought of the nonprofit, all, my mind was in, oh, engaging with the girls, engaging with the community, doing activities. It wasn't with the, oh, let me bring the board together. I have to create a strategic plan. I have to have a budget. I have to have a bookkeeper. I have to file taxes. I have to do all of those types of things. And sometimes I wonder, right, ignorance really is bliss. And I think, oh, if we had known all of this before we started, would we have? I think we still would have. And what I have learned along the way is that you just keep taking the next right step and you continue to ask for help in the community. We, there's tons of like the Community Foundation of Santa Cruz County uh, has services for nonprofits. Um, I joined an executive director uh, circle there, like a round table. 
And that was just, I can't even explain. I, I always tell them, I used to tell the group, the group is no longer a meeting. But um, I would always say, I don't think Salud y Cariño would have become what it is today if I didn't have this support, if I didn't have this place to talk with other executive directors who have all this experience, all this knowledge, and they're willing to share it and they're willing to support. And how do you feel that process was of trying to build those community partners? I mean, I do see that you have several community partners, um, such as United Way, Women in Philanthropy, Community Foundation of Santa Cruz County, and more. Um, what did you find successful in the process of being able to gain community partnerships when you're starting your nonprofit? Well, the community is everything, right? Whether you're a nonprofit or not, the community that you live in, that it goes to, for me anyway, it's like yourself, your family, your community, your city, your state, like it goes out to the world, to the universe, right? And so the community is that first sort of um, safety net that is around us besides our, our families and our close friends. And so in the nonprofit world, having those connections and those relationships with other nonprofits is really helpful because not only are you connecting with those, the leadership maybe and those program managers, but then you're also getting to share your passions, you're getting to share your work, and then all of those families and individuals that that nonprofit serves, then they get to learn about you through word of mouth. They learn to trust you, you become a trusted partner. And then together you're able to reach even more members out in the wider community. So it's been really interesting because it's it's hard. Everyone's busy. Everyone has schedules. Everyone has meetings. But just making the time and in such a small community, you know, we're in Santa Cruz and specifically in the unincorporated uh, city of Live Oak, which is part of Santa Cruz, sort of part of Santa Cruz County, um, it is, it is kind of small. It feels very small and um, intimate. And in my experience, I've had just really great interactions with leaders. There's not this sort of sometimes like a hierarchy of, oh, I'm the executive director of this nonprofit that is this large. Like you just don't see that. Um, from the beginning, we just had uh, leaders and program managers from other nonprofits that were just really warm and, and, and embraced Salud y Cariño. So you talked a little bit about like the community and how important a community presence is. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about the community and the girls that you serve in that community? Yes, yes, I'd love to. So we're, we're in Live Oak and it is an unincorporated area of Santa Cruz County. We have a high pop population of uh, Latine, Latinx, and when we set out, we wanted to serve the community that we were in. We actually did an environmental scan and we looked at what was being offered within all of Santa Cruz County. And we actually, in the beginning, thought about starting in Watsonville. Our board ultimately um, geared us towards Live Oak, for one, because my sister and I both live in Live Oak. And when we looked at um, the demographics in the Live Oak School District, it was over 50% Latinx. And um, when we went into, when we decided to start serving young women, we would always get the question like, oh, you're Salud y Cariño, so is it just in Spanish? Do you only serve uh, Latinx? And we said, no, we, we set out, yes, we chose our name with a purpose. Cariño is my dad's last name. And um, 
it really incorporates like what we stand for, right? So health and the idea of love and care. And if women and girls can love and care for themselves and each other, they can change the world. And so we did it with intention. So our name is Salud y Cariño, but under our logo, it says physical activity, prevention, education in English. And part of that was because my sister and I were biracial. So we were using our Mexican roots, Mexican indigenous roots, and our um, American Irish roots, right? We wanted to reach girls no matter what their background was. We also wanted to ensure that the program was free no matter what the economic background was because we know that Santa Cruz County is one of the, the most expensive counties to live in. And so we didn't want somebody who maybe is just over that that line, right? A lot of times people want to give scholarships or um, reduce the price and they want you to meet these certain criteria of economics. And I know how that feels to have to fill out that special paper and turn it in, right? We didn't want that. We didn't want any of our girls to have to do that. We also didn't want that one girl who maybe their parents make just over that line, right? But they don't have discretionary income so, you know, if they do, then they might not choose to spend it on an after-school program. So in the end, along with the board, we said, we set out and we said, we're going to serve uh, young women in Live Oak, uh, and it's going to be free for anyone who, who wants to join. I, I got a little something to add to that. You mentioned on your website, and I actually had this in my notes about your banner and um, the, the few words that you have up there. Uh, it's physical activity prevention education. Um, how are these? How are each of these achieved through uh, your work at Salud y Cariño? Mm, yeah, that's, that's a great question. So, fun fact: when we first were dreaming up the idea of a nonprofit, my sister's an avid surfer. So we thought, oh, we're going to do this like surf camp. We're going to get the girls into the water. And we're also going to talk about like health, health things and, and relationships and connections. And um, ultimately, when we went out into the community and we did our community surveys and focus groups, and we realized that many of the young women that were there in Live Oak um, didn't know how to swim or for cultural reasons or other barriers uh, were afraid of the water. I know for us, for my dad's family, my nana, my abuela, she was terrified of the water. She didn't know how to swim. And so just there was these cultural barriers to, to that. And so we stepped back and so we said, okay, what is it that we can do, right? Because we had that physical activity in, in the back of our mind. We wanted the physical activity, but we wanted it along with education and prevention because I'm a former educator so I know that whatever we're doing after school, we want to be bringing in resources. We want to educate w young women, whether it's about their bodies, uh, whether it's about coping skills, whether it's about uh, getting into college. Uh, we wanted to make sure we had all of that. But we also wanted prevention, uh, which is aligned with the, with the education. So we wanted to prevent uh, unwanted teen pregnancies. We wanted to prevent smoking and now vaping, which is epidemic. Uh, I am actually a former smoker. I've been quit t 20 years as of August of this year. So uh, nicotine, tobacco-free. And I know what a, what, a, what a monster big tobacco is. And especially now with the vaping, it's, it's 10 times worse, 100 times worse. So that's what we do. We offer physical activity. 
the types of physical activity, we do do surfing, uh, but that's not all we do. So we offer things like this week, we just came straight from a bowling field trip. We take them bowling, we take them roller skating. We brought in like Zumba, world dance. Um, we do obstacle courses. We do personal best challenges where they challenge themselves uh, on, on the obstacle course. And you know, how many, how long can they hold a plank? How many squats can they do in a minute? And they're not going against each other. They're going against their self. There might be some friendly competition, but really what they're doing is they do it in the beginning of the school year, in the middle, and then at the end. And they say, okay, how have I improved in these areas? And then something else that happens when you combine physical activity with trying new things, right? So you're moving your body. And so you're kind of putting yourself out there. You're like, you're out of your comfort zone, but you're in a space where you feel safe because you've you've gotten to know the other girls in the group so you feel connected you feel safe it's just all the things start firing right in your brain in your body and um it's that's where the magic starts to starts to happen so i have a couple follow-up questions on that um you know i've been surfing out there as a beginner and uh, <laughs> uh it's no joke so i'm wondering where are you taking uh where are you taking your students at yeah we we totally do a beginner break so we take them to cal's Sometimes, depending, because so what we do is we have a leadership surf camp every summer. So it's after their eighth grade year. It's like the culmination of the middle school program. And so they get to go for a week. It's free. We rent a house off of 38th and East Cliff. They get to stay overnight. They get to learn how to be young leaders so they can come back and be leaders to the younger groups. And they get to learn how to surf. So sometimes in the summer, if it's low tide, and you know how in the summer sometimes it can just be flat. So if, if everything is right, if everything comes together, sometimes we can take them right there on the 38th break area. And if not, if it's too big or if it's high tide, we just drive on down to Cal's and uh, you go to that beginner break with the girls. So. Yeah, so um, I know we're going to talk more about this later and how people can get involved, but I'm really curious right now because I have a daughter that's getting out, that's just getting out of eighth grade. Well, she's halfway through eighth grade right now, and I know she would totally be interested in something of this sort. So how can these young girls get involved? Do they have to be in the Live Oak area, or can they be from outside areas? Yeah, we get that question a lot right now. Since we are a fairly small nonprofit, we, we, we mostly serve young women or youth who identify as female or as gender expansive youth. We um, mostly in the Live Oak area. However, sometimes we do have students who go to another school district, maybe on the west side, who have heard about us. And so we've had parents who've reached out to us and if we have space, they will actually pick up their child from another school and drive them to maybe where our program is at Shoreline or at Harbor High. We used to be at the community center. We sort of outgrew that space. So uh, we would love to be able to offer to more girls at this time, just because of our staffing and our resources, we are primarily in Live Oak. We have over the, pa over the past, and maybe doing that again, is offer surf and beach days, almost like clinics or workshops, where girls who have graduated from the program, our alums, our high schoolers, can come and, and do a beach day. But it's something that in the back of our minds we have thought about being able to open up something like that to young women and youth that are maybe not there in Live Oak. I got one more for you before uh, I give it back to Anna. Um, 
I mean, you're you're highly active. What <laughs> one of the things that is going through my mind? You talked about how you're teaching uh, in high school. Uh, what were you teaching in high school? Oh, I was teaching. I taught beginning Spanish, and then I taught English literature. So I taught things from Chicano literature. Then I paired up with uh, a Yaqui history teacher. So we did a a class on Yaqui history and Yaqui literature, um, American lit and modern lit. So those were the classes that I taught. And I in take high it your school. connection with the with the students kind of an, is a natural thing and brought you on to you know how you're dealing with um, your youngsters right now. You know? Yes, yes, I I definitely got a lot of experience from being a high school teacher, and it's one of the things that I fell in love with. It, it I wanted since I was a little girl, I wanted to be a teacher. That was my dream, and so I was a teacher and an administrator, and. Um, when I became an administrator, I loved it, and I loved my teachers and my team, and I actually was the principal of a small charter high school on the Pasco Yaqui Reservation in Tucson, Arizona. And when I left that position, I was really missing being in the classroom. I was really missing working one-on-one -on -one with the youth. And so when we founded Salud y Cariño, it was really like, um, like you mentioned in the intro, I was working in public health, and I'm a former educator, and it was like those two worlds collided, right? Like, how can I take my education background and my experience working with youth um, and these ideas around public health, you know, and, and bring that all into one. And so Salud y Cariño was born. Well, I love that. Um, my mom was actually a teacher for over 20 years oh. and was a principal. And so she's retired now and she still can't stay away. She keeps, <laughs> they keep calling her like, hey, would you be a high school principal sub for the next three months? And she just can't stay away. She loves her students. So. We might as well go with the, tri the triple connection. My wife is a PE teacher. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> In high school. So, yeah. That's nice. amazing. And so I, I think that you know, what you're doing is amazing. And also how you talked about just the variety of trips that you take them on and experiences and not painting them into a box because that can really mm. happen a lot, especially if you're multicultural mm -hmm. you're being pulled in different directions or even of any culture, um, not being painted into this box. So what has your trip favorite trip been so far um, as the field trips? Mm, gosh, I love all of them. I, I used to play roller derby, so I really love when we get to go roller skating. So that that's always a, f a favorite and a fan favorite. And why do you why do you think these trips are so essential to your cause? And is there any one particular that you believe is the most impactful? I think that the and I I think and part of me knows from asking the the girls the youth the leadership surf camp has been the most impactful. I think because when you stay together in a house for a week and you're there and they see you in your pajamas and they see you first thing in the morning and at night and you're there together living, that's when you really bond. That's when you really see, I always tell them like, the first day I go, it's about to get real. And they go like, you know, they look at me. Um, and I think that along with the opportunity to learn to surf and a lot of them say do I have to surf like what if I'm scared what if this what if that and we always say you know my my sister is an avid surfer and she's also a certified uh, lifeguard and certified instructor and she always tells them I'm not going to take you into any water uh, that is more than like waist deep and someone's going to be with you at all times and she said and anything you don't want to do you don't have to right we all they we always tell them that and to this day right 
we have not we have yet to have a young woman to not at least try to not at least get on the board and paddle to see what it feels like um and then we have the ones who they think they would never do it and then they're the first ones that are there popping up and you know riding that wave in and falling and then getting back up and they can't wait to go back out and so it really is a metaphor right for life it's 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 scary it's hard you question yourself you question your surroundings but then when you have the courage to try you might fall but then you get back up and so i i really think that the leadership surf camp has been really impactful for the young women i i love that because you know i've actually sat there and watched my children paddle out and at various ages from like 12 or actually think yeah 12 9 and which other one six at the time <laughs> and it was uh you know i was scared because i'm like wait nobody's going on those boards with them and then they go off but it really is it really builds independence mm -hmm. um and and trust in themselves it's it's an amazing thing to watch as a parent to see your child gain that confidence and with such an amazing you know um a way to do it um so yeah, I mean, this is it's really it's it's really close to home for me and touching me right now. So, uh -huh. but I really love to hear that. Yeah, thank you. And also, you know, bonding, being together for a week. Mm -hmm. I understand that because I just spent four days with my classmates working on a project with you know twelve, fourteen hour days, mm -hmm. and I did not know a single one of them before you know going into that. Maybe one. And after, I feel like they're all my BFFs now. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah, they're bonded yeah. for life. Yeah, yeah. bonded for life. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I also really love the fact that you said, too, and empowering the young girls of, I mean, it's not talked about enough, but you don't have to do anything that makes you feel uncomfortable. Mm, mm -mm, and right. that's an amazing thing. Um, can you talk about also just the the mental support and the emotional support that you provide as yeah. well for these young girls? Yeah, we. it was really important to us to start every group in a good way. So we always start with a talking circle, and we always talk about, we, we use a talking stick and, and we talk about how that is actually um, in a, an indigenous way, right? It's a way of sitting in a circle and no, is, no one is more important in the circle. Everyone's voices should, should and, and, and can be heard. And so every session starts with that. Well, they walk in, they come running in, they throw their backpacks, they sign in, they have a journal prompt, and then they get their snack and then we start with the talking circle. And so they, they might share about the prompt of the day, right? Or maybe something's going on. Maybe they come in and we see their face and we're like, you know, what's going on? And they'll be like, oh, you know, and they'll give us like the cheese And so then sometimes that's what happens. Sometimes we spend 15 minutes talking through whatever's going on. And then we move on to the theme of the day. But they know that they have that space, right? And then it's, it looks a little different in the high school groups. The high school groups, they they create the topics. They choose the topics. They co-lead them. And so we do a check-in process where they come in every day, they write their name, and they give themselves a number from 1 to 10. How are they doing at school? How are they doing at home? And then when we go around and check in, they can share, you know what, I'm a 5 right now at home because I'm really struggling with this or something. And I'm an 8 at school because I just I got an A on my history exam. They could say as little or as much as they want, but they get to do that sort of self-reflection and sharing of like, hey, this is what's going on at home. This is what's going on at school. And then you see how the next girl might be like, oh, yeah, I could relate to that. Like, oh, yeah, that final or that test. And so they kind of they start to bond. And so that's 
that's really where the magic happens is between the girls, the connection, the relationship. And so, um, so that's the first step. And then we do cover things like coping skills. We talk about what does it mean? What, are, what, what is a coping skill? And when and where might we use them? And then they have a, we'll, we'll journal about it, we'll talk about it, and then they'll do some sort of a craft. Um, for instance, some of them, what one of the crafts we do is they write letters to themselves, so we brainstorm. Like, what are some times where we might need some help, right? We might need a little boost. And it's not always, oh, a fight with a friend or a breakup or a, or a bad test. Sometimes it's, oh, I'm graduating next week. Oh, my kids is coming up, right? Because you also need to cope in times of, of joy because all, those can also be exciting but also stressful. So we talk about all of that. And so what they do is they'll, they choose these aspects maybe coming up in their life, and they'll write a letter to themselves um, with sort of like um, inspirational or motivational things. And then they also get to ask someone in the group or even one of us facilitators, hey, can you write me a letter? So we've had many girls who say, can you write me a letter from when I graduate from eighth? Can you write me a letter from when I graduate from high school? Can you write me a letter when I have my quince? And then we even had one who, it gives me chills right now. We have one who, she asked me to write her a letter for when she started her first day of college. And she's from our pilot group. So we started in 2015 with 17 sixth grade girls. We've served over 600 girls. She was one of the first 17. She's a junior at Spelman. And she had that, she had that card. And I saw it because on Instagram, she posted her, her dorm room and her desk. And the letter was right there on her desk. And so it's little things like that that are built in to the curriculum and to the sessions that I think just have really bonded us, that makes it special. And so, yeah, those are just some examples of how we provide that mental and emotional support. That's amazing because it's not just in times of <clears throat> difficulty or anything like that. God, I needed you during my wedding planning. <laughs> that was stressful. Um, really beautiful stories. Oh, yeah, thanks. it is. It's amazing. Thank you. So we talked a little bit about kind of like how you start off your typical day, but what does the rest of the typical day look like? So we do, you know, check in mm -hmm. the circle and then um, what do you guys usually move into or does it change from day to day? Because the work you're doing is amazing and Thanks. people should know about it. Thank you. Yeah, it does. We actually, what we do is we have a program schedule that we develop um, for each semester. So we are actually coming up next week is the last week of this semester before the winter break. So we always end the semester with the end of the year celebration. And so that's girls choice. They get to choose what do they want to do. Um, but each session, like I said, what they all have in common is that check in period, a snack is always provided. We do the talking circle. And we have that journal prompt that goes along with the theme. So we'll have our talking circle, we'll talk about that, and then we'll go into either some kind of an activity, or it might be a craft, or it might be a guest presenter. And then um, we always end with a closing circle. So we stand in a circle, it'll start with one person. So if it was me, for instance, I would turn, you're on my right, and I would say, do you want a high five, a handshake, or a hug? And you get a pick. It's like also giving consent, because you're like, these are my boundaries. I want a high five. I don't want a hug. 
And so you say what you want. I give that to you. And then you would turn to Joe and say, Joe, what do you want? High five, handshake, or hug? And then the circle just keeps going around like that. So every session ends that way. So we open in a circle and we end in a circle. That's amazing. That's really cool. Hugs give energy. They do. I believe, right? <laughs> I mean, they totally, I mean, it's funny because sometimes I'll be so drained and I'll go to my wife and go, look, all I need is just a hug for a moment because I'm so drained out and I need to get on something. But it's it really is. Uh, it's um, a, a physical, like, lift up. You it know? is. It's, it's like an yeah. exchange of energy. Do you do you find any differences? Because we, we talked about the process of, you know, you're not a bilingual organization. Well, you are a bilingual mm -hmm. organization. But it doesn't mean that you're only doing one or the other. Right. Do you find any differences in the process of having a nonprofit organization with a large audience that speaks a different language than English? So it's interesting because I don't have a lot of experience from the inside, like as a executive director or a facilitator with other programs that are, just do one or the other. I think, I, I, I think most of the places that I have worked do have offer bilingual programming and and um, and or are just specifically English right with maybe sometimes they'll have uh, resources in Spanish or they'll have a translator something that I would love to share that I feel like people could learn from us is that from the very beginning to have um, your all of your resources all of your sessions in Spanish from the beginning because we just started developing in our stronger language, which was English, and then you subsequently were translating into Spanish, right? And for instance, also our website. Uh, I'm the person who put together the website. I'm not a website designer. And I didn't know that at that time, even at that time, I don't know if it was, but nowadays they have those websites where you can choose your language. So you can put it in one language and then you can press a button and it'll put every, display everything in the language of choice. So those were mistakes early on, you know, learning, learn, growing pains, um, the learning curve that I wish we had been stronger and done at that, at that time. And so that's something that I would definitely recommend for an agency that is seeking to offer bilingual services. Is there any other insights you can provide on just nonprofit organizations that are looking to start up or, you know, provide the other side? Maybe they started in English and they're like, wow, you know what, we need to provide these bilingual services because a lot of people now in this country are bilingual. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I would say just be open, be open to change, be open to admitting when maybe you could have done something better. I feel like that has helped me a lot being able to say, you know, I could have done this better. We, we, even if it, even from the high, high level of programming, executive director leadership down to our facilitators going like, oh, how did, how did that go? We probably could have done this better. We probably could have done this activity a little better. It could have gone a little smoother. So I think going in with a learner's mindset, right, um, is really helpful, especially when you're navigating those nonprofit waters, when, when you're a brand new nonprofit and you're trying to learn and, and grow. You know, our name is Giving Purpose, and mm -hmm. uh, this is going to lead into our next section here, but what what pushed you to your giving purpose? Mm. So I think what pushed me to my giving purpose was that I have always found purpose in connecting with people, with relationships, 
and with giving back. So I learned that from my grandparents. I learned that from my parents. I always saw them, whether it was like at the church, in the community, at the schools, volunteering, wanting to give back to the community. And then the other piece has to do with my accident. Like I, I know how it feels. I know how it feels to not belong or to feel like you don't belong. I know how it feels for someone to treat you a certain way because of how you look. And so I feel like at a very young age, I developed like this sixth sense of reading people, like wanting to read them so that I could be safe. Like I needed to read you. I needed to know if you were gonna accept me or if you were gonna say mean things to me. And I had to prepare myself. And so having that piece has made me like, I'm so fascinated by people. I wanna know their stories. I wanna know what makes them tick, what drives them. And so my purpose has really come from a place of, I think, service, but also curiosity, right? And, and wanting to know, know other people's stories. Thank you. Yeah, that's a great answer. I mean, you've been through a lot and it really, our, our, our past and, and our experiences make us who we are and you're doing good things with it. So I got to congratulate mm -hmm. you on that. Thank you. Yeah, I agree. I agree that our, our past definitely molds us. So how important do you think volunteers are to your organization and how can our listeners either become volunteers if they choose to get involved or how can they get involved in your organization? So we, yeah, we, for instance, we had some volunteers, some parent volunteers this week help us on the field trip, you know, driving us, getting us over there safely and they stayed and bold with us. Um, but we also have volunteers from the community who come in and, and they speak to the girls, whether it's about their profession or about their background. Um, we've had, for instance, uh, women, a women leaders panel. We have one every summer at the camp. But then the girls said, why don't we do one step bigger? They said, why don't we do a women leaders panel at Harbor High? And that way we can invite anyone who wants to come. So we have women from um, throughout the community who come. And they're women who look like our young girls, are from the community, and they're sharing their stories of, you know, how they grew up how they got into school, how they got into their profession. So then the girls can see like, oh, well then I could do that too. Um, other volunteers that we've had throughout the years are um, women who come in and teach like the world dance. They teach Zumba. We've had um, another one came in and did kickboxing. So we're having volunteers come and share their expertise is, is something that we can always use. So. And then can you describe a time where you saw a significant impact on an individual or group as a direct result of your nonprofit? Kind of like a success story. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Sorry, putting you on spot Yeah, here. no, no. <laughs> I, I think there's, there's many of them, so I'm trying to think which should I. Well, I did actually, we did highlight last year some of our young women who are on our youth advisory board. So they, they kind of came up through the program, they became young leaders within the program, and then it evolved into them now being leaders in the community. So I'll tell you a couple of them. One, um, her name is Marlise, and she became the first uh, board member for the Live Oak School District, the youngest, and also alum of the Live Oak School District. So she went through the schools, she went to Shoreline, um, and then ended up being on the board. Then we had um, the young woman, Maya, who 
also started with us in the pilot group. She's the first alum to become a board member for Salud y Cariño. And um, I would say other success stories we've had. We have a young woman who's in high school right now. She's a junior. She received the um, United Way Youth Leader of the Year Award this past spring. And she gave Salud a, a shout out and said, oh, you know, I never would have known that showing up to this at one after school program would have opened all these doors. And I was like, wow, like that's a, that's a shout out. That's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so, that's it. Yeah. What are the biggest challenges you've seen in the nonprofit sector and what advice would you, did you wish that you had when starting out mm. um, that you can give to others? Yeah. I, one thing that I would tell anyone starting a nonprofit is to make sure that you pay your employees a livable wage, put that into your budget, right? My sister and I were like, oh, we want to do this because we love it. So we were like, oh, we're not going to pay ourselves. And then you get into it and you're like, oh my gosh, well, I need to have a job. So we both had other jobs and we were doing this job. And that's fine. Like we were blessed that we had other jobs and that we had spouses who had insurance and could help support. But for the sustainability of a nonprofit, you do need to put that into your budget. You need to be paying your executive director, your program directors, your facilitators a livable wage. Um, that for sure. Um, other things I would say are to look at funding opportunities, right? Look for those funding opportunities. If you can get a grant writer, do it, because that's one of the things that takes the longest time and, and energy. Um, do that, start collecting your data. Like you do pre and post surveys, we do a pre and post survey or anecdotal. Start collecting that early so that you have that to tell your story, to tell it to the community, to tell it to funders, and to to use that community, like I, like I mentioned in the beginning, to reach out to your other community organizations, your other community partners, and don't believe the lie that don't get in, don't fall into the scarcity mindset, right? We know that, yes, it, we do have to raise money. However, when you, there are funds out there, right? Don't, don't, you don't want to look at it like you're competing with these other nonprofits, which I think sometimes happens because it is a scarcity mindset, right? We all want to do this good work and we're told like, oh, the pie is only this big. Um, but if you can get a seat at the table, if you can go to your city council, if you can go to the county board of supervisors when they're doing their budgets, be an advocate, be an advocate so that that money is going to the community, going to the services that you and other nonprofits provide. That's excellent. Teresa, can you give a, our listeners um, a point of contact? How can they contact your organization, uh, Salude Cariño, and how can they volunteer, donate? Where's their best place to go for that? Yeah, the best place to go is to our website, which is um, saludicariño.org. And um, they don't let you put the enye, so there's no enye and cariño. They don't let you put that on websites. Um, and or and if you go there, you'll find my email. But my email is Teresa with an H T H E R E S A at saludicariño.org. Yeah, that's if you reach out to us there, you'll be able to find us. You can also fo follow us on Instagram and Facebook, both saludicariño. Thank you. That's amazing. Yes, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, very, very uh, interesting. Um, interesting uh, nonprofit and what you're doing. I really love it, uh, helping out. 
helping out um, you know young ladies become more confident in themselves and grow some independence and not fear, you know, just put everything there. Uh, you did. You were excellent. Your stories were excellent. Thank you. We appreciate you as our first guest here. So I got to give you some claps for that. Hey, <laughs> thank, you. thank you for joining us on Giving Purpose Podcast. And please click on the subscribe button to stay informed about new episodes. You can also find information about Giving Purpose Podcast on our website at givingpurposepodcast.com or add us on Instagram, Facebook, or threads at Giving Purpose Podcast. You can also find us by the same handle on YouTube for some supplemental video content of each episode. We'd like to thank our guest, Teresa Cariño of the nonprofit Salud y Cariño for joining us today. We'd also like to thank our co-creator and editor, Isabella Cariño Hernandez, for all her behind-the-scenes work and editing on this episode and further episodes. We'd also like to thank our chair, Professor Nisha Garrard-Patkar, and committee members Kim Massey and Gordon Gurley for their continued leadership and support. We'd also like to thank you, our listeners, for your interest and contributions to our featured guests and the work they do to make their Giving Purpose effective in our Bay Area communities. Thank you for listening to Giving Purpose Podcast. For more information, you could visit our website at givingpurposepodcast.com.